All right, uh, as we go back and continue to study Romans chapter uh, 8, I want to start with a little bit of what we did last week as we build the platform towards future verses. And that's Romans 8, verses 12 and 13. And there, Paul, and by the way, it's, it's important for you to know, Paul is writing this to the Roman community, even though he had never visited there. Isn't that amazing? He had never visited yet. All right? He would, eventually, but uh, he'd be in jail and in prison when he was there. But, you know, with Paul, that never seemed to stop him. And so he's writing this uh, uh, to a a group of disparate churches there, trying to hold them together, giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's important to know this. So Romans 8, verses 12 to 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, underline that, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is all about the obligation to do the right thing as Christian people. God expects you to live a godly life. Yesterday in church, I spoke about the holiness of God as one of the key elements of God. And God says, be holy as I am holy. Be holy. Uh, And so this is all about understanding the process of sanctification. Meaning what? What happens when you become a Christian? What happens? Well, when you become a Christian and you are saved, when you recognize that you're lost and you need a Savior, uh, you reach out to God and God reaches across eternity. That's the only way to describe it. He reaches across eternity. He saves you and he fills you with the Holy Spirit. Now, much of your Christian life is about understanding the role of the Holy Spirit within you and what's happening and how God uses every day of your life to sanctify you, Uh, meaning you have an obligation to live a holy life. Now, this this becomes a willfulness of the Spirit. It becomes a willfulness of the mind. He has given you the authority, and the power to live a godly life. So don't say, oh, I'm weak. Yeah, your flesh is weak, but you've got the Holy Spirit if you're saved. So with the Holy Spirit, you're not weak. You have the ability uh, to walk with God uh, and to stay away from misdeeds. It becomes important. Um, and, and so this is it. And so this becomes an important step by, for us as God wants us to live the way he is. He wants us to be holy. Uh, and, and we have to recognize that God has done this for us. We didn't do it. We didn't save ourselves. There's nothing that we did that gave us salvation. Don't think you were saved because you were a good person or you did good deeds. You weren't saved because of that. God, your good deeds are like filthy rags. That's what the Bible tells us, okay? Somebody said to me today, which is a good point, uh, the issue was grace. Do people that live a moral life, and there are people we know that live moral lives, but are not Christians. They live moral lives as the world would define moral lives. Do they have grace? And the simple answer is no. No. Because grace is tied with the Holy Spirit. You understand? Grace is the unmerited favor of God. The gift of God to give you strength and to favor you uh, as you walk as a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you are not a son of God. 
Sorry. Okay? I mean, really, if I were writing a story, maybe I'd write it differently. I'd say, oh, good people, God sees them. No, no, there is none good but God. Jesus said that himself, didn't he? There is none when that, when that you know, young man came to him and said, good, good, good master. He said, wait a minute, there's nobody good but God. And so that's the point. Think about this. Why would God bankrupt heaven and send Jesus to die on a cross if being good was good enough? All right, can I say it any other way? I mean, it's that simple. It's that simple. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't overcomplicate it. If being good was good enough, why go through the crucifixion? Why bankrupt heaven? Because the point is, it's not good enough. It can never be good enough. And we have to recognize this. And you have an obligation to walk in a holy life. You have an obligation to walk with God. All right? There's no excuse if you're saved not to be walking with God. Because all I would say is, if you're not walking with God, then you're not saved. All right? There it is. You're not saved. Paul's made that pretty clear, hasn't he, in the writings that we've talked about? Uh, you're not saved. Uh, and so we need to understand this. Uh, we cannot let the misdeeds of our body have reign. And look, we have flesh, which means the flesh side of us is constantly going to look and see. We see things. You know, we have the internet. We have all these things that are out there that can poison us. And for some of us, we need to throw the computer out. You understand? Some of us have to do this. Some of us don't lack the ability to put a curtain up between evil and goodness. And if you find yourself that way, then you need to live that way. You know, it's the same thing with alcohol. There's some people that they just cannot uh, be a part of that. Uh, and, 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 and even one small taste of that destroys them. Uh, and now, for many people, that's not a sin. But if you know that you have a predilection in that regard, you owe God the responsibility of not doing that. It's that simple. Uh, and, and so this becomes an ongoing walk with the Lord, recognizing, Father, help me. Give me the strength to live the kind of life you want me to live. And he's given it to you through the Holy Spirit. You have grace. This is what separates you from the world. Uh, this is important. And so I hope we've drilled this down, that Paul has made this very clear to us. Uh, this is an obligation. It is effectively a command. Uh, and Paul makes it very clear. <clears throat> if you live according to the sinful nature, uh, you will die. That's it. If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. There's, there's no in-between. Um, and so we as Christians have an obligation to walk with the Lord, to walk combined with the Holy Spirit. Uh, and that's what we have to do. And here's the other thing. People in the world know who you are. Okay? They see you get up early Sunday morning. They see you going to church. They see you going out during the week to some Bible studies. They know who you are. And then you go and lead a reckless life. Your language is atrocious. When you're on the golf course, words come out of your mouth that you can't even believe that they're there. Some of you should give up golf, frankly. I mean, really, honestly, <clears throat> you're not having a good time. And, and you're dragging down Christianity along the way. I, you know, you might want to think about that. Uh, but the point is, you know, think about how the world looks at you. Oh, I... 
I thought you were a Christian. And you have to put your head down. Uh, we ought to put you in the Christian protection program, you know, <laughs> so that people don't actually see you. But that's the nature of what God demands from us. This is about understanding how God has set the bar. The bar is set high, okay? The bar has set high. Uh, and so th here's, here's what you need to focus on. God has done everything already to save you. He has equipped you with everything you need. Now, that's another thing that I want to address. Some people say to me, well, God hasn't fully equipped me. Oh, no, brother. He has fully equipped you. The question is, are you using what he has given you to advance the kingdom of God? He's equipped you. He's given you the fruit of the Spirit. He's given you grace. Uh, and so now, you have to give back to what he's given you. Uh, his Holy Spirit is with you. It guides you, and now you live for him. Here's the thing. No longer do you live for yourself. Your walk should no longer be me, 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 I, I. You know, when I hear people talk about their marriages, this is one of the, one of the areas where you see this. Uh, and you'll hear somebody say, well, yeah, I've been, I've been married for 20 years, 25 years, but I'm not happy. I got a couple of kids, but I'm not happy. Oh, my wife is not, a, is, a, is not a good person. Well, here's the question. Is it about you or is it about God? You're not happy. Well, big deal. When did your happiness become the most important thing? Don't you realize that when you're married, there's a third person in that marriage? It's Jesus Christ. Don't you realize? So now all of a sudden you look at that woman you married and maybe she's not quite as pretty as she was 25 years ago. Well, boys, go into the bathroom, take a look in the mirror and tell me what you see. Because I don't know about you, but when I look in the mirror in the morning, I think I'm looking at a stranger. Who is that guy looking back at me? So here's the point. Here is the point. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. It's not about you. So we blow up these marriages. Why? Oh, I'm just not feeling fulfilled. Really? Get on your knees. Ask God to fulfill you. You have an obligation to keep a family together. You have children. And we realize the, the results of divorce are horrific. All right? Children are ruined. They never recover in many cases. Why? Because I'm just not happy. You're just not happy. Well, what, this is what, what Paul is saying here. It's not about your happiness. And I would say to you that if you walk with the Lord, that if you allow the Holy Spirit to be with you, you will be filled eventually with the most incredible joy. It is called the fruit of the Spirit. He has given that to you. And as you walk with him, as you walk with him, the fruit of the Spirit is going to grow. Absolutely. And it's peace. And it's joy. And it's contentment. All of that comes with being part of, of the kingdom of God. He has already equipped you in every possible way. And here's the other thing that I would say. That a lot of you want to be used by God. You want to have ministry. But then you go and destroy your marriage. Well, how is that going to work on your resume? When people look at you, well, oh, I really I feel like I, I could be doing a lot for the kingdom of God, but you've blown up your own marriage. All right? You recognize? You have to think about these things. Yes, God forgives you. 
Yes, God knows you're weak, but the, re- but the recognition is that you're walking in this world and people look at how you live. You are a symbol of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so we have to be more conscious about this every day of our lives. Now, <clears throat> moving on to the next verse I want to focus on, which is Romans 8, verse 14. <clears throat> this becomes another strong doctrinal position by Paul. And by the way, notice how every verse is pregnant. Every verse is loaded. This man was not only filled with the Holy Spirit, this man, as I said to you, was the smartest man in any room in which he habitated. The smartest. Look at this verse. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Let me repeat that. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, are the children of God. This verse tells us that the only children of God are those who are led by the Spirit of God. <clears throat> and this is not clearly an accident. It is not an incidental verse. This, again, talks about what comes about through salvation. When you are saved, one of the things that happens is not only that you will spend eternity of God, but now you become a child of God. You become a co-heir of God. Jesus becomes your brother. Uh, and, and the point of this is understanding what that means, what it means to be an heir. And later on, Paul will talk about adoption. Adoption as meaning that God adopts you into your family. Now that phraseology was well chosen because adoption under Roman law meant something very different than adoption means today. Because if you were adopted in Roman law, that meant that you could never be excommunicated from the family. You could never be cut off. Yes, if you were a natural heir, you could. But if you were adopted, the Roman law said you could never be cut off. That's why we know, as part of our theory and theology, that God saves you forever. If he holds you in his hand, he causes you to be saved, you've accepted him, you are adopted into the family of God, and that adoption means that he can never cut you out. You can never be cut loose. Now, the question is, are you saved? And that's between you and God. The evidence of that is your life, your walk. That's the evidence. But if you're saved, I want you to recognize this. That's why somebody could say to you, uh, do you believe you're going to heaven? And you just go like this. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. He's got me in his hand. But you have to have the assurance to know that. You have to be walking with him. All right? You have to have that kind of life. Uh, and so you are assured of eternal life. Now, Romans 14, 8, 14 is meant to be both a test of spiritual life uh, and a comfort to us in our standing with God. And that becomes important. There are five important points to understanding this teaching as it relates to this verse. They are as follows. First, and by the way, I'll, I'll send out my notes afterwards. Vic Lombardo assists me in that, and I appreciate that, Vic. First, not everyone is a member of God's family. Let's stop and pause right here. This is big. How many of you ever heard 
the universal family of God. God loves everyone. They're all part of God's family. This is wrong answer. Wrong answer according to the Bible. Wrong answer according to the scripture. So now here's the thing. If you're writing your own Bible, okay, go with it. You know what I mean? You go with it. If that's what you want to believe, there's a thousand ways to God, and you're writing your own Bible because you believe in the universal family of God, go ahead, give it a shot. When you get up there, see, what it, well, see how that's weighed when, when your Bible is brought before God himself. Uh, it's not true. Uh, in Western thought, we think of that, but it's not true. Uh, we have all been created by God. He's our Father in the sense of creation, but there's no filial relationship between God and those who are not Christians. None. Here's the difference. You get up in the morning, and you are held in the hand of God. All right? Everything that you will go through in life is Romans 8.28, right? For we know that all things work together for good, to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. All things. What does that mean? It means you go to the doctor today and he gives you bad, a bad diagnosis. Oh, no! All things work together for good. I don't know what the plan is in my life, but Father, I bow to you. I recognize that somehow you're going to take this. I use the example of Joseph, sold into slavery for 17 years. There he's sitting in a prison, an innocent man sitting in a prison, and destined to become the prime minister of Egypt. Number two in Egypt. You think he said in the prison, oh, this is good news. I like this prison. I know that I'll put, I'll put five, six years in here, but eventually I'm going to become prime minister. They would have taken him out to a mental ward uh, if he articulated it. But you understand, this is the plan of God. You can't even see 10 feet down the road. You can't even find your car in the parking lot. And you think you know best for your life? where he sees around eternity. He's got tremendous plans for you. You have no idea the plans he has for you. And so Paul is distinguishing uh, for us, in a very clear way, the difference between being a son of God, governed by the Spirit of God, and those people that are in the world. Now, look, we love these people, all right? Many of them are family members. They're not saved. Uh, many of them are our good friends but we have to pray for them. You have to recognize uh, where they are and what those relationships mean. It's not good. And you need to, to be aware of that. And hopefully at some point you can have a discussion just about this. Now this really means that only a very small portion of humanity can be classified as a son of God. Wow. Wow. That's a heavy concept to, to chew on. But it's so true. Now, Jesus, you see, made this abundantly clear uh, in John chapter 8, 31. Uh, and he said in that passage, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you hold to my teachings, not meaning walking around with them, Jesus, we love you, you're good. But, you know, if you hold to the teachings, you live by the teachings, then you are his disciples, and that's the nature of what he's teaching us here. Uh, this offended his Jewish audience. Well, that's a shock, huh? They were offended. They were offended. How dare you say this? Uh, we, we are the children of Abraham. We are the chosen people. 
Jesus denied that. Uh, they then claimed that God himself was their father. Uh, Jesus made this poignant point. Uh, and this is in John chapter 8, verse 42, if you want to turn to it. <clears throat> he said, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and now am here. You belong to your father, the devil. You know what I love about Jesus? He never tried to be politically correct. Am I right? Imagine that. Not only do you not belong to God, your father's the devil. Well, that didn't go over well. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. It's that simple. Why am I not hearing? Because I don't belong to God. I'm not going to hear. I'm not going to recognize the messages. And we talked about this last year when I talked about why the parables were written in a way in which many people could not understand it. It was because God did not want uh, the wise, the prudent, the arrogant uh, to be able to understand what he was saying and the things of God. He made it in such a way that only the simple of heart through the Spirit of God would understand this. Uh, it cannot be any clearer than what I've just articulated. In this world, there are only two families. That's it. You are either those who love God and serve God or effectively an enemy of God. That's it. That's that. Very simple. Very simple. Now this leads to a second important part of this verse. And that is this. All Christians are members of God's family. Now this involves a far-reaching and radical change. Uh, it's radical to become a child of God. Uh, to be outside of God's family means effectively to be a member of Satan's family and to be a slave to wickedness and under divine judgment. This is why we say that if you're not saved, effectively you are a dead man walking. You understand that. Uh, but to be in Christ reverses everything. <clears throat> All of this is reversed. Now you're adopted by God himself and you're allowed to grow in holiness and to uh, possess eternal life. Now, this change uh, that we receive is supernatural. It's not something that you've done or have any responsibility for. It was done from God above. At the moment that you reached out to God and said, Lord, I'm lost, I need a Savior. And instantaneously, this power is transferred in eternity from God to you, and you're saved, and the Holy Spirit is invested in your heart. This is what Jesus meant when he spoke to Nicodemus that he must be born again. Turn to John chapter 3, verse 5. Now let's understand who he was dealing with here. This goes to your issue of good moral people. There was nobody more moral or good than Nicodemus. He was the chief rabbi in Israel. He was the leader of the Sanhedrin. Uh, in every way, he represented the greatness of Israel. Uh, and so I want you to understand this. And so here he is coming to see Jesus at night uh, because he didn't want people really to see him going to Jesus during the day. He felt it would erode his position. And so there in John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus says very 
Truly, <coughs> I tell you, <coughs> no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now let me ask you something. If someone as moral and gifted and, and putatively holy as Nicodemus is, is told by God, you must be born again. How do you think it is for the rest of us walking around? All right? With our own puny morality. All right? Our own puny philosophy. This is Jesus speaking here. This isn't some just uh, a prophet by the wayside. This is God himself saying, you must be born again. Meaning what? Flesh gives birth to flesh. You're going to die in your flesh. I don't care where you're doing, but until you are born again, when you lift yourself up and recognize you're lost and that you can only be saved by the intervention of God himself and the Holy Spirit is implanted within you, you will be lost. That's the only way you'll be saved. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. That's the nature of the Spirit of God. That's the nature of what we're dealing with. Look, if you're with people who say to you, and I've been there, I'm a good husband, I'm a good father, right? I'm a good man, I'm a lot better than that guy down the street. I even go to church. You think Nicodemus, you think he went to church? You think? He was one of the rulers of the synagogue. Of course, he lived there. And what does Jesus say? You must be born again. So that's the answer for you to your family and friends who raised the bar of morality. I am morality. I have morality. I am a good person. Your good works are like filthy rags. Look, here's the thing, guys. Uh, and when you present this, you need to present it in a loving way. All right? And that requires some prayer and discernment. I want you to do this. Uh, and so what, is it, what happens when you have a family member who says, I don't, I don't, you're a zealot. You're a fanatic. You're a fanatic. I don't need to be born again. I know what those born again people are. They're a bunch of losers, flakes. I don't, I don't need that. I'm a good man. I'm living a good life. I'm a holy guy. I walk with, I walk with God. I have moral standards. And then what you need to say is, take a look at what Jesus said to Nicodemus. As good as you think you are, you look like a loser next to Nicodemus. All right? Look at him. The chief rabbi of Israel on the Sanhedrin. In every way, the greatest teacher of Judaism uh, in Israel at that time. And Jesus said, you must be born again. Are you any different than that? That's the point of saying it in love, recognizing that people need to hear this. This is a desperate message that has to be given to the world. And one of the things I hope in this class is that I'm raising you up so that you can all become teachers, that you all can become leaders. 
This isn't just you coming here and be entertained by me. This has a far greater consequence. I want to prepare you so that you can give this message to other people. Uh, and you recognize that this is a divinely given gift. We didn't deserve it. We did nothing to deserve it, to deserve it, but God gave it to us. He gave us this spiritual life. Uh, and when you recognize what he did, you bow in humility every possible way. Uh, it is far-reaching. It reads to glorification. What do I mean by that? Glorification. Glorification is this. At the end of your life, when you pass from this life to the next, you will step from this world into the next and you will be glorified. Your body will be a spiritually glorified body. You will suddenly be in the presence of God. Uh, and that's what this is all about. That's what it means uh, in such an uh, incredible way. You will then share in the glory of God when you do that. And that is the result of sanctification, meaning every day of our lives. Here's the point. You're born again. You have the Holy Spirit within you. And now God expects you to walk as a holy person, putting aside the misdeeds of the body, being his representative. And that becomes a sanctification process, meaning he's sanding you down. He's making you better. And the fruit of the Spirit is invested in your life and blossoms and, goes and grows greater and greater and greater. And the world sees you. And your family sees you. And you're carrying the cross of Christ. What an incredible, what an incredible feeling. Now what does being a Christian, as I've defined it here, mean in our daily life today? What's the practical uh, in this? Uh, and this is where Romans 8, 14 uh, provides us with a third important doctrine. Uh, to be led by the Spirit means to be led by God's Spirit. Uh, and so as true Christians, you see, we can only be led by the Spirit of God. We will be growing in holiness daily. It is through the very Spirit of God in our body that puts to death the misdeeds of the body. It is the Holy Spirit that leads us. Now, one of the things that, that, I've, that I've learned this year uh, as I've prayed and I've written, I'm, I've, I've written a, ser a sermon series uh, at the Naples Gathering Church uh, on understanding God. Understanding the very characteristics of God. And I'm spending seven weeks, seven Sundays on that. And yesterday I spoke about the holiness of God. The holiness of God, which we often as Christians minimize. Uh, and there's so, such evidence in Scripture about the utter holiness of God. One of the first examples of that was where Moses, uh, out in the desert, wandering as a shepherd, uh, this guy who's 80 years old, the former prince of Egypt, comes upon a burning bush and the voice of God, or Charlton Heston, is speaking to him from the burning bush. And as I was reminded today by one of our brothers, and the bush never was consumed. And so here he is, standing there with his dirty shoes on, on rock and sand and dirt, 
And the voice from the bush, God himself says, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. That's right. The same dirt and rocks five minutes before wasn't holy. But now that God is there, God is there, you feel the impact of the Holy Spirit. And now God makes it holy. Makes it holy. And I would say to you this, that I've experienced the holiness of God. I don't say you experience it all the time, but for instance, yesterday in church, I can tell you that after I delivered that sermon, I felt the impact of the holiness of God. It is holy ground. And one of the things I said is that when we do praise and worship music, it's not about entertainment. You understand? You're not going to church to be entertained. You're going to church to connect with the divine creator of the universe. You understand? And so yesterday, God really worked on my heart uh, when, I, when I delivered that message. And when I got done, I invited anybody who needed to be prayed for, to be anointed by oil. As you know, James chapter 5 says that. Call the elders of the church together, and they will anoint you by, with oil. And you will be cured, and your sins will be forgiven. Fifty people came forward. Now, how can that happen unless the Spirit of God is alive? You understand? It was so evident that all of a sudden, all these people who I had no idea had needs in their body and their spirit were drawn forward. You understand what it is. That's what it means to be a child of God. You are receptive to the things of the Spirit. You recognize it, that the Holy Spirit is leading you. And so this introduces a fourth important point in this teaching, which relates to paternity. When I spoke about this, it tells us how we can know, know really, that we are in God's family. We are in God's family if the Spirit of God is leading us in our daily lives. This is between you and God. Not me, but you. You need to ask God, God, are you leading me in my daily life? Or am I doing my own thing? Because if you're doing your own thing, then you're not being led by God. Uh, but when you're led by God, you will grow in holiness daily. Perforce, it has to be. Uh, and so here, another important practical question. This is important, as so I want to make sure I give you practical application. How does the Holy Spirit lead us? How does he lead us? And we have to be careful in this teaching, uh, since it is futile to deny that God does indeed sometimes lead in mysterious ways. I understand that. Uh, I know that myself in my own life, that I went through things over the last several years as I went from one church to another, uh, and it was not a pleasant experience, I often wondered, God, what is your plan for my life? How can this be? How can persecution and suffering be part of what your plan for me is? And it became true and revealed to me when I finally came to the Naples Gathering Church building given to us by God, when I saw the hundreds of people who were drawn there because they were also impacted. By this. That's what it means to be impacted by the Spirit of God. You don't sit there and draw out a piece of paper and say, well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go that. Take that paper and throw it out. All right? That's your head. But instead, it's exactly right, Ken. Throw it out. Instead, 
bow before the throne of God and say, Lord, I'm yours. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And the question becomes, I'll reveal it to you in my Charlton Heston voice. I'll reveal it to you in my own way. You've got to walk in faith. You're going to walk sometimes in darkness, but know that I'm there with you every step of the way. Uh, and so what should we normally expect? Uh, the place to start is recognize that the Holy Spirit works within you internally. Etern internally, meaning what? That even as you're going through these issues, you have a confirmation in your heart. Let me say something to you. As I'm preaching to you this morning, I really hope in your heart you're saying, Amen. He's right. Amen. He's right. All right? That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That's the internal confirmation of what God is doing. This becomes an internal witness of the Spirit of God. And I told you, it's not just being in the presence of great preaching. It can be in the presence of some simple person saying some simple word that ultimately elevates you in a way that you never expected. Now, God can also speak from external events. Uh, certainly we see that in the life of Joseph being sold into slavery for 17 years is an external event. And yet God spoke to Joseph through that, that the Jewish people would ultimately be saved because of that. Uh, but this is not what we're speaking of here. We're speaking about the internal imp impact of the Holy Spirit. How does the Holy Spirit work internally? These are issues that you need to be aware of. These are important subjects. Well, first, he renews your mind. How about that? Your mind is renewed by the Holy Spirit. He works on your intellect. How about that? That's the intellect that he gave you. Uh, this is what Paul calls the renewing of your mind. Uh, how does your mind get renewed? Well, it gets renewed by being taught from the Bible. That's how your mind gets renewed. You need to be brought into Bible study. You need to be brought to the Bible and study the Bible because the Bible is the very renewing of your mind. You're taking all the garbage that you've heard in the world, all the garbage that's on television, and instead now you're being given the revealed truth of God. That's how your mind is renewed. It enlightens your thinking in a way you never thought possible. Uh, and it redirects the very way you think. And think about that as you, as you walk as a Christian. Think about how you were years ago where all you cared about was your personal happiness. And now your ha personal happiness is not what's important in your life. What's, what's important is him and your relationship with him and how you impact others in the church and in your Bible study and in your family, how God has called you to be the leader. All of that takes precedence over you. You understand? Over you. It's not about how much money you have or how many possessions you have. If God has blessed you, God bless you. If he's blessed you. But it's not about any of that. Instead, it's about your standing with God himself. And are you a child of God? And are you impacting the kingdom the way he expects you to impact the kingdom? Uh, and so this is why uh, anyone who considers themselves led by the Spirit, apart from the Bible, is doomed to fail. Simple. 
If you think you're led by the Spirit, but you said, I don't need the Bible, well, let me tell you, Satan has fed you some false theology because you desperately need the Bible. Otherwise, you will fa fail. You know, a person who reads the Bible under the illumination of the Holy Spirit will find it to be life-changing in every way. And let me ask you this. You don't have to tell, talk to me, but you answer this rhetorically. Think about where you were before you started to get involved in Bible study, before you really started to understand what God wanted for your life. Now look at where you are. When you come out on a Monday morning at 7.15 uh, and come out to be with other guys to study the Bible, if somebody told you 20 years ago you would do that, you would have laughed them off. You would have laughed them off. I could tell you something right now. If I tried to teach this class in New Jersey, I'd have one person in the class. It'd be me. I'd be speaking to myself. You understand? Because God knows where the people need to hear the message. And one of the things I would say about here is that this is a spiritual environment. The hunger and thirst for biblical truth is here. It's in this room. And from this room, I hope you spread it across the rest of the town. Spread it to your family in every possible way. Here is a test. I'll give you a test. And you can think about this for the rest of the day. Has the Holy Spirit been leading you by your mind through Bible study? Do you find that as I go verse by verse, suddenly there's illumination? Suddenly there's a click? Suddenly there's a vision that you never thought possible? That is the Holy Spirit. That's it. It's that simple. When you see this and all of a sudden your eyes are, oh, I never thought of that. I never saw it that way. Have you discovered things about God that you did not know before? That's the Holy Spirit. Uh, are you beginning to live differently? This is a big one. Are you beginning to live differently? Do you find yourself now walking a narrower line? Do you find yourselves wanting to be more with the people of God? Do you find yourselves that you can't wait to go to church on Sunday? Do you find that? Because all of that is the test that you're walking with God and living by the Holy Spirit. Look, let me make this perfectly clear. You have to have a church. You have to have a relationship with God and other Christians because you have a, an obligation to pray for them, to lift them up as they lift you up. All of that comes together. And so do you find that? This is all about renewing your mind constantly. Uh, and you cannot help but show it. This is what happens. It's so obvious. And so the Holy Spirit also stirs the heart. The heart is the seat of the emotions. And the Holy Spirit works upon that. Uh, and Paul addresses that issue in Galatians 4, verse 6, where he says, Because you are his sons... God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba, Father, which in Greek meant Daddy. How's that? That's your God, your Daddy. Think about all the love in that word, all the warmth in that word, and the spirit in your spirit, cries out to God. Even though you don't even know it, cries out and says, Daddy, I love you. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what we want to have in every one of your lives. My prayer is that this message will resonate with you and that you will bring it to others who desperately need to hear it as well. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everything that you've revealed to us today. Lord, we felt your presence here. And you have taught us so much, Father. I pray that this message grows and resonates in our heart that allows us to leave here and give it to others. Lord, give us the strength to tell others who are not saved what they need. Not that we lift ourselves up, but we lift you up. It's not about us, but it's about you in every way. Father, be with our men, strengthen them, protect them, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.